It's behind the headlines on WLIWFM. That's where we bring together uh, award-winning local journalists to do a little bit of a deeper dive into the week's headlines. I'm Joe Shaw. I am the executive editor of the Express News Group. We publish the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, and the website is 27east.com and sagharborexpress.com. With me is my co-host, Bill Sutton, who is the managing editor of the Express News Group. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, everybody. Terrific group of journalists here today. We have Ambrose Clancy, who's the editor of the Shelter Island Reporter. Good to see you, Ambrose. Good to see you, Joe. Great to have you. Uh, Michael Mackey, who is the local host of Morning Edition here, right here on WLIWFM 88.3. Good morning, Michael. Good morning, team behind the headlines. Good to have you here. And uh, one of our regulars, Denise Civiletti, who is the editor of Riverhead Local. Good morning, Denise. Good morning. How are you doing today? Doing fine. Let's let's start with a tragic story from up your way, Denise. Just uh, just an awful story. The, the the there was a terrible fire up there. Tell us what you can about what's known uh, about the fire. Uh, well, I mean, not much is known yet. Uh, they're still investigating in terms of how it started, but um, the uh, a house on East Main Street uh, was completely consumed in, with flame. It was engulfed. Uh, when firefighters arrived Tuesday night, uh, shortly after 1030, um, they got the call from Riverhead police about the fire. Um, it's a, a, a it was a, a four family home built in uh, 1907 um, and a 7,000 square foot home. Um, and um, it was just, uh, we got a photo from someone. It was just, uh, lit up. I mean, uh, you know, one of those sites that I had, I had seen a fire like that at a house in Calverton in person a few years ago. And I will never forget what it looked, sounded and smelled like um, as it was happening. But uh, a family of five people were trapped in their third floor apartment and, um, and perished. Um, uh, the other residents, the residents on the second floor and the owner of the of the house who lives on the apartment on the first floor, um, they were able to uh, evacuate uh, with only minor injuries to a couple of people. Um, and they got out basically, you know, with the clothes on their back and their their dogs. Um, it was but very clearly a really fast moving fire, right? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And uh, from what I understand, they're still trying to figure out exactly why i mean it's a very old house um you know normally when you see something like that go up that quickly something is driving it um whether it's wind or an accelerant or um you know electric like the electrical system sometimes if uh, the electrical system is damaged by fire in a certain way um it could just like go right through the house like that so uh, but they they just don't know yet. They've they've ruled out uh, criminal, um, you know, criminal uh, intent. There's there's no evidence of an accelerant or that there was, uh, you know, any criminal activity. But um, the people who uh, died were all uh, immigrants from Guatemala, all from the same town, all in the same family. Uh, a 41 year old uh, mother, her 24 uh, year old son. Her 16-year-old daughter, who oh. had she had just managed to get a visa and, and get her here, 
after not being with her for 11 years. Uh, she arrived in the United States on October 8th, and uh, she had just started at Riverhead High School uh, about a week and a half ago, um, we're told. And um, her, the mother's uh, two nephews uh, were staying with her. Oh, um, so and uh, they were 22 and 24, and the whole family perished in that third floor apartment. Um, what a terrible tragedy. It was awful. Um, and um, the family, I mean, the whole community is really grief stricken. I mean, it's just. Uh, you you got you, you know, had some some great coverage, Denise, on on the family and their fundraising efforts and yeah. um, you know efforts to raise some money for funeral costs. And I guess they're going to send the bodies back to to Guatemala. Yeah, it's quite expensive. And from what I understand, that in itself costs like ten thousand dollars per person. Wow. Uh, to to repatriate them for for burial, um, I, my heart goes out to them. And uh, you know this woman, the, the mother who passed away and. Her mother in Guatemala, uh, who was taking care of her daughter all this time, can you know? Can you imagine no. being her? You know, um, and, the, but, and the woman's you know, people, sister lives in Riverhead too. The woman's sister, thank you, thank you, Bill. Yeah. Uh, she so Sonia um, Rivera um, was had a did house cleaning with her sister uh, Laura, and um, they were together. You know, obviously every day and. Uh, she, Laura was just, uh, you know, she collapsed at the scene when she got there after she heard. And um, she had she spent a few hours at Peconic Bay being treated for shock, I guess. Um, and, um, you know, the whole community is really uh, people have really, uh, you know, come together as people do in, you know, relatively small towns like this. Um, they. Uh, Someone that knew them started a GoFundMe page, and uh, they set a goal of fifty thousand um, dollars. And they have um, nearly met that goal in a couple of days. Uh, uh, the uh, local funeral director, Sal Mangano of uh, Tuttle Mangano Funeral Homes, has uh, donated. This isn't actually public yet, but he's donating the the, the caskets and funeral services mm -hmm. for them. Oh, that's nice. Um, yeah. He's a, you know, there's some terrific people in that business, actually. Um, and he's one Denise, of them. Denise, the, the, there's there's a fairly sizable Guatemalan community in Riverhead, right? I mean, Abs that's absolutely. A, that's, yeah. that's a community that, that's really grown recently. I believe there's a, a Guatemalan consulate that actually opened. In yeah, Riverhead actually, yeah. On, su community. on Sunday, I was just at the, the grand opening of that. And uh, they um, they had uh, very nice ceremonies there. They had. Uh, a lot of, um, you know, a lot of officials that the Riverhead Town Supervisor was there, some county officials, obviously the consular officials. And um, it was a, a very nice ceremony. They had uh, music and, and dancing and um, food and um, a tour of the facility. It's, it shares the building where the uh, Columbia Care Medical Marijuana is. It's a, a fairly large complex uh, or office uh, suites. And um, it's it's a big it's a big office the the consulate and the consulate was on hand on at at the scene on on Wednesday um, to uh, be there to try to assist people and I believe you know they are they are working to you know kind of um, pave the way for you know to to make it easier to uh, repatriate the, the bodies of of the, the victims 
Um, That's what I was thinking is that they may have a little more support because of the yeah. size of the community there. But it's also yeah. a community now that's in mourning and, and, and able to sort of pull together. You know, it's kind of a mundane question. And, and I don't mean in any ways to 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 move past the, the terrible tragedy of it. But this so this was a legal multifamily house, right? This was not a situation. That's correct. Yeah. You have illegal housing or anything like that. This was a no. multifamily, uh, one of the older buildings that's been converted into multiple yeah. apartments, right? And it's just, uh, it that's may correct. just be one of the terrible tragedies. I mean, you, you worry all the time about, we talk all the time about affordable housing and it sometimes can turn into substandard housing, but that wasn't the case in this. This was this was actually a building that was just a very old building and a very big building that had been converted, right? That's that's correct. And it was converted some time ago. And the owner had, you know, did, followed the law in terms of uh, obtaining rental permits and things like that. Um, from what what the supervisor said the other day was that the permit for this building had expired. And, you know, because of the backlog with COVID, um, it had not yet been reinspected this year. But um, they were you know, working to arrange that reaching out to the owner and they hadn't connected and uh, then this happened. So I, you know, I mean, I think, uh, look, uh, there's no way, I don't know how they're going to figure out exactly what things were like in the house uh, prior to this, because the whole thing is just, it's a, it's a charred uh, skeleton at this point. Um, But um, there's no indication that this person, that the owner was, you know, any kind of a, slumlord or anything. I mean, she lived in the, in the house. She actually I had, lived in that house. She yeah. lived there. I had met her a few times. She had come to different town meetings about um, the historic district and uh, downtown revitalization meetings and stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, she was in the community and, you know, cared about the community. Um, there were two apartments on the second floor. I understand that. I think two people lived in one and Two people lived in the other. Um, the owner, I think, lived by herself on the ground floor, and then this family lived um, up upstairs on the third floor. Um, so, you know, I would just want to say too that um, you know it it it's horrible to see. I think the, the amount of kind of like speculation and all the assumptions people make on social media and comments and things like, you know, oh, you know quote, these people are always living, you know, in these overcrowded situations and, oh, these landlords and the town needs to do a better job of inspecting things. And, you know, all of these kind of keyboard warriors that have a lot of opinions based on not a lot of information. It's, you know, and it's none um, of them, none of them being accurate in this instance. You know, I mean, the point is, or, you know, we just don't know. And I wrote, I, you know, I try to stay out of the comments because I just, and I end up uh, just going a little, my head explodes, but um, I, I, I wrote this morning on one of them that like, you know, that this is just idle speculation and it's really, it's hurtful. I mean, people are in a very painful situation right now and speculation about these things and spreading rumors just makes it worse. You know, um, this is one of those, um, situations where it's glaringly obvious that our society has not been improved much by uh, social media <laughs> because, no. uh, you know, no. it's just it's a, a terrible um, thing. The conversation, some of the conversation has been terrible. But then I try to focus on the fact that, you know, the vast majority of people are 
actually not doing that and are sending, you know, love and prayers and good wishes and ponying up and making contributions. So to the GoFundMe, which there's a link on our, in the story on our, on our site. And uh, also uh, Sister Margaret is uh, collecting donations at her office. Um, and there's a, so, a, char- a charity soccer match this this weekend, right? The, that's that's right. Sunday. Yeah. People, people can kind of show up and help out. I had a story this morning. People can go and donate. And um, so the, the, the woman's son, uh, Carlos, uh, played in the Riverhead Soccer League, uh, which plays on Sundays, every Sunday at Stotsky Park in the uh, soccer field back there. And um, he his team was in the final uh, playoff game last Sunday. Uh, it was the end of their season, and um, I don't know who won or lost, but he he was part of that team, and the president of the league uh, said in an interview how devastated they were, and they had to, felt like they had to do something, so they organized this one-day tournament, and eight teams immediately signed up and each put up $500. Um, <laughs> all the pro the town has waived the uh, facilities fee. And um, all the proceeds are going to go to the uh, the survivors of, of these families of these of this family, um, so that's uh, really nice as well. And I don't know if there's going to be an admission charge or it's going to be a free will uh, donation, but you know they're encouraging everybody to come down to the park to support this this effort. Um, there's the kid, so much you more know, positive and positive yeah. to focus on. You know, it, kid, it, it, kid you Carlos say they had this playoff on Sunday and. Monday apparently <clears throat> was his birthday. Oh God! And then Tuesday, uh, this happened. Um, How awful! So, you know, not not to not not to so not to ignore the 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 survivors of the fire too. Are there are there efforts to 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 help them know, out? I mean, these people have lost have have lost everything. It's certainly not as 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 horrible as, as, you know, the, the family, the, the lost, you know, family members. But I mean, these imagine, imagine if your, your house or your apartment goes up in fire and you just lose all your possessions and stuff. You're absolutely right, uh, Bill. We've seen that in other instances and we've seen the community come together to support folks in that situation. Um, people have reached out, a number of people have reached out and asked me that, like what, you know, but I have yet to uh, find a way to connect with, and them. And so I, you know, I know that the Red Cross was there. The Red Cross yeah. helped them with uh, temporary housing and some, you know, clothing and supplies as they do. But I also know from past experience that they still need a lot more help. And, yeah. you know, tenants don't necessarily have insurance all the time on their, you know, tenants insurance on their property. So, uh, you know, these folks literally got out of the house with, you know, with the clothes on their back yeah. and, you know, these are, that, the I mean, hardest, these are the hardest stories for us to tell, I think, but they're also yeah. really crucial to tell because people, as you said, you know, we need to fill the gaps with with real information or you have a lot of trolls who come in and decide to fill those those open, openings with other things. You know, the other thing I think about um it's obviously a terrible tragedy for the family, a terrible tragedy for the community. Um, I think about the emergency folks, the firefighters, and I know one of the firefighters was injured, but this is this takes a toll on a community in so many ways when you have a, a tragedy of this magnitude. The, the, some of those firefighters, you know, will never be the same after after yeah. having to fight a fire and, and knowing uh, that that some people lost their lives. And it's just a 
just a devastating event in so many different ways. And, I agree and, with that, Joe. It's a multi-layered yeah. uh, the situation I can't stop reading about because it transcends Riverhead. It also points out how the the Guatemalan community at large is uh, is so much a part of the fabric of our society on the East End. I'm, I'm th getting the impression that Riverhead at large is responding very favorably to this tragic situation. And I, I sense a lot of love reading RiverheadLocal.com and Newsday and other publications about it. I'm not too much on the uh, extended social media, but it seems to me the mainstream media is telling a story about about love and care and compassion that transcends the Hispanic community. By the way, this woman, who, by the way, only the good die young. She seems terrific. She worked very hard on the South Fork. And that mm -hmm. points out how much a, a part of the fabric of our South Fork community, the Hamptons, the Guatemalan community has become. So keep telling the story because it just has so many levels. And it's yeah, I, uh, so I, I, sad and it's so revelatory. I've said for years, I think that the East End, unlike some other communities to our West, um, I, I feel like the Hispanic community is intertwined with the local community and the, the losses felt there are really felt uh, generally um, in the region. And I, there's no question, this, this has been a story that's really resonated um, throughout the region um, and we're watching it uh, and you guys are doing a wonderful job as are the folks up at the Times Review and in, in keeping close tabs on on the fallout from that tragedy. You know, we also have to mention that that this past week we had a, a very serious weather event. Bill, we we had uh, some tornadoes actually touched down on Saturday uh, throughout the region. And, and it's interesting because in the in the hours and even a, a day after that, we weren't sure how serious it really was. We all knew a bad storm swept through and we knew that uh, it was unusual in its ferocity, but it took a day or two to find out that it actually did spawn some tornadoes, right? Right, and, and I, it's so, so it's strange. The National Weather Service um, deems a, a storm or a, a tornado after the fact by looking at damage and looking at uh, patterns of, of fallen trees and, and stuff. So it does take a couple of days. We, we knew early on that, that the storm had, had uh, wreaked havoc in West Hampton and Rep suburb. We found out later on that, that it also tracked through Hampton Bays and, and North Sea. Um, I, I think the, the most damage we saw was in West Hampton, where there was a county facility that was damaged. Um, and also, uh, we spoke to on on Sunday, we spoke to the woman who runs the uh, farm stand in, in West Hampton on, on Montauk Highway that was kind of demolished and got a firsthand account from her, which which was um, to me just really scary and, and terrifying. She's she's working at this farm stand and you can imagine that. So so they've got a lot of uh, tents and um, a portable toilet and, and loose, loose stuff. Um, and she was. She, she got the notice to take cover and there had some, been some customers that left quickly and then she noticed another customer and she grabbed him and they went into a, a big sound like a walk-in cooler and rode the rode the storm out. And when they came out, the, the farm stand was just pretty much uh, demolished. Um, County Executive Steve Levy, or St I'm sorry, Steve Ballone. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to bring age. back Steve Levy. Yeah. Yeah. Steve Ballone. Steve Ballone came out and had a press conference on on uh, Monday um, at the site of the county facility, which was the big barn where they store all the salt for the uh, 
for the for the winter highway uh, clearing and and all that and and spoke about the storm and it's just it's 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 scary to me i don't remember and i mean i've been here you know a couple decades and i don't remember many tornadoes um on on eastern long island or the south fork and and i think they say that you know weather weather pattern changes and and you know global global you know warming climate change um can contribute to these storm events and um you know not not to be the doom doomsayer but i mean this this you know this could be our our future we may see more and more of it ambrose over on shelter island you didn't really get the worst of the storm, right? I think it was fairly localized. I mean, it's interesting because I was in Riverhead actually when the storm hit and I've never seen the sky look that way uh, out here. It's the first time I've ever seen the sky that looked look quite like that. Yeah, um, and I drove through, drove through a terrible hailstorm coming back to Hampton Bays, right? Sort of as the storm was hitting, but it, it sort of skirted Shelter Island, didn't it? It did. Uh, it was, as you said, it was very freakish kind of storm. The, as you said, the, the look of the sky and also the the hit and run uh, aspect of it. It was here and then gone. And it was some huge trees came down, took down some primary uh, electrical wires, uh, some customers of PSEG, a um, hundred or so or maybe more. We're out of power for 21 hours. Wow. Um, it's with the island. It's difficult because you know you have to the PSEG people have to come across on the ferry. Usually, when you have uh, storms forecasted, uh, they'll put crews on the island like the night before, the day before. Well, this time they didn't because it really did kind of blow up really fast, and they were chasing the storm uh, through uh, western Suffolk, which really got hit. It badly. So all in all, uh, there were no injuries and all in all, the island caught a break, except for those yeah. who, who were in the dark for a while. It was scary that it, that it did come on so so quickly. And the Weather Service noted that um, they weren't able to issue a warning until um, or, or an alert until just before the first tornado touched down. And I think that was out west. It was in Massachusetts earlier, Islip. But um, the, it was just, it was so, so quick moving. I was in Riverhead and I don't think there was a lot of, um, you know, I, I didn't see a lot of, um, you know, damage. It certainly wasn't a tornado up here, but, but it, that sky was like the skies that you see in, in the tornado movies. It's just that odd <laughs> hue, that odd color mm -hmm. and just so fast moving. It was, it was scary. It when you so talk about Angry skies. Yeah, <laughs> that would be the way I would describe it. I've never seen it. Michael, Bill touched on it a little bit. Uh, this may be the kind of extreme weather that we're just going to have to kind of get used to moving forward. Right. This is what the whole conversation is about. Well, that's the impression we're getting from scientists and those in the know. We had uh, more tornadoes in on that one uh, weekend, one day than we've had in the last uh, 40 years. I mean, it's it is unusual. I was in Bridgehampton at the time. It was all rather dramatic. People stepped out of their shops at Bridgehampton Commons and watched the sky moving and then suddenly pelleted by hail. Mm. And it was brief and rather robust and no damage in my area. And it was, it was kind of fun to experience. But is it a warning we, of uh, more dramatic events ahead that it won't be so, so we, we, we have the 
the added phenomenon too of everybody's cell phones going off with the warning, oh, that terrifying my. warning that happens. Yeah, that's a new phenomenon that. Sure is. Uh, I mean, it's a wonderful thing because I think it's it's important to get notice out, but uh, it's terrifying to hear everybody's cell phones go off once. Also, I have to point out um, that coming back from Riverhead in the midst of the storm with tornadoes touching down, 60 mile an hour winds, hail falling. Uh, it was nice to see a crew still trying to blow leaves off of the lawn in the middle of all of that. Uh, uh, so I thought that was sort of, I was a statement of some kind. I thought this is behind the headlines uh, on WLIWFM. Uh, I am Joe Sean, the co-host uh, with Bill Sutton. We are from the Express News Group. Our panelists today are Ambrose Clancy of the Shelter Island Reporter, Michael Mackey, uh, from right here at WLIW and Denise Civiletti, who's the editor of Riverhead Local. Uh, Denise, just real quickly, you're also, you know, this has been a, a week of breaking news, especially up your way. You're also chasing a report of a homicide in, in Riverside, right? Uh, Riverhead, I'm sorry. In, in, in Riverhead, yeah. I'm just about to post this. Um, I don't really have any information other than that they closed down a whole stretch of uh, East Main Street uh, overnight and in the early morning hours today. Uh, they had there were uh, state troopers at the scene. They were helping with the traffic post, but Suffolk County Police uh, Homicide Squad is uh, investigating. The county spokesperson confirmed, and uh, I really don't know any more than that. Uh, the chief of police in Riverhead said there was a homicide, and apparently in a house. Uh, and uh, you know that's really all I know. But the road has been uh, reopened now, and uh, uh, we should be hearing. Them. To listeners that by the time this is airing, yeah. you probably have some more information. Well, so you might want to go to Riverhead. I would hope so. <laughs> and and uh, Bill, we also had a shooting down our way um, this past week. Yeah. Right? A Sag mm -hmm. Harbor man uh, was found on Shinnecock territory. I think it was a little unclear where the shooting actually took place. He was found along a roadside. Um, and that's no arrest has been made in that case yet, right? No, and, and actually very little information from, from the state police on that. Um, other than it was a, a Sag Harbor resident who had, <clears throat> I think, been um, I, I don't want to I don't I don't want to uh, defame him, had, had recently been released from uh, prison on uh, seemingly un, unrelated charges and just found uh, found found on a road on, on the territory, was taken to the hospital and, and declared dead. Um, not uh, and again, not not a lot of information forthcoming. I imagine that that um, if if there's an arrest, we'll we'll learn more. I think sometimes with these things, they you know the police keep keep the investigation pretty tight um, um, as as they're chasing leads and and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. there was an incident earlier this week on the Long Island Railroad in Hampton Bays, and I wondered was that an isolated incident of one kind of nutty. Rider, or is it indicative of the tension that continues to grow with people just generally, whether it's political or sociological or I don't want to wear the mask, I will wear the mask, I don't have to pay to be on this train or, you know, I think yeah, that, if, you, if you had posted that story uh, five years ago, you would have thought, oh, just, it's just a funny, crazy incident. Now you think, well, is that indicative or we're going to have more yeah. incidents like this in closed transportation circumstances on planes and trains and buses? Or is he just a, a nutty guy that stepped on the on the train and, and spion could 
Is, is there, is you know, it seems like a trend, Michael. But yeah, yeah. Your things in, on planes, like as you just mentioned, um, a, we a, we have a weird string of events in Riverhead. I'm sorry, Bill. Oh, you're right. No, where I, I say weird because you just don't hear this too much. But like three days in a row in the last week, um, women and knives, like women stabbing other people. Mm. <laughs> I in mean, Riverhead. I. Yeah, uh, at a 7-Eleven, um, twice, mm-hmm. two different 7-Elevens, and then once at a, um, a a housing facility that's run by uh, an organization that provides emergency housing. Uh, and this was at what uh, we all know as the Waiting River Motel, but I, I now it's called Calverton Development. I don't know. But, you know, just like strange to me, like I, I don't recall ever hearing that happening, like, you know, with women stabbing other people uh, in, a, in a rash of, uh, of incidents like that. I there's hope that's a, not a trend that there's, continues. There's been a, a national trend of gun violence and, and gun deaths that it seems yeah. to be really spiking. Um, and yeah, uh, I wonder if all kinds I of interpretations if- can be given, um, COVID, uh, yeah. cultural tensions, um, but uh, it's, I do look. I, I think as as a country, we're we're all experiencing a little PTSD for from the events of the last two years, and and I think so. I, I'm it, it's a it's a curious point, Michael. Is is it a COVID rage type thing? Is is are we, you know, as as we um as we continue to you know to fight this battle, and and people are you know are isolated and. We know there have been substance abuse, uh, you know, rises and, and like Ambrose said, rises in violence and from from all of that. And as a nation, it's just going to take a long time to recover from this thing if we ever get through it. Knock well, on. the political discourse is so volatile and, and so separated. I get uh, information online and in the mail from both the right and the left. And uh, you think we lived in different countries. It's. It, yeah. it reminds me back when I was a kid, I'd watch boxing or I'd, 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 there'd be a big fight the night before. And the next day I would read about it in the newspapers and the Daily News and the New York Post and Newsday and the New York Times. You think the, the writers went to a different fight. They were reported on, on and yet they all saw the same thing. I sort of get that feeling now that yeah, we're all in the same a, country. We all presumably have the the same mission in in mind that uh, land of the free and home of the brave and liberty for all and boy that's, that that's, that's a great analysis so vociferously yeah. is uh is concerning it's a, it's a great analogy michael and and you know another analogy might be studio wrestling because i've always talked about <laughs> i think i think with national I, I mean i mean this in a serious way that that when we talk about studio wrestling there's a phrase, and I believe it's called kefab, that is, kefab is everybody agrees to follow the script even when they're not on camera, that you are your character at all times, and you per- this, this pretend universe that you've created, you never vary from it, you have to stick with the kefab, and I feel like that's happening with national politics too, that the Democrats and Republicans both kind of have to, they, they have to follow the script and the script is the other side is the enemy. And, and it's led to the kind of div- divisiveness that you're talking about, Michael, no question. But COVID is definitely a part of this too, Denise. And we wanted to talk about the fact that uh, this fall, I mean, we had reasons for great hope 
going into this holiday season that this might be a different holiday season. Um, I mentioned on our podcast that I've seen commercials on television that sort of say, this is it. This is the big one we've been waiting for. And there isn't a mask on any of the people in those commercials as they gather for holiday festivities. We're starting to see numbers go back where they were, right? You did a study uh, of this. Well, this past there, week. Well, I, I started to actually look at the numbers and, and then, you know, things uh, went off the rails a bit here. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, we had that bump in you know, that little surge in with, with Delta in um, you know, August, September, October, and then it started in October, started going down. Um, and um, but now the numbers are going back up. The case numbers are going back up. The positivity uh, rates are going back up. Uh, and so our uh, hospitalizations and deaths, sadly. Um, and I, you know, I, I think that's a factor because it's always a little delayed, you know. Where do they uh, compare to it to a year ago, for instance? So, I mean, the number, the, the positivity rates are, let me just pull this up. But I, I did the first, like, the, the last half of um, October and uh, the, the first half of uh, November. And I looked at that for, like, you know, 2021 to to 2020 and um you know october it was uh 2.6 percent november it was 2.9 those so those two week periods in each month and hospitalizations averaged um in october 156 people per day were in the hospital with covid with 18 new admissions and there were 41 deaths in that period um and in in 2020 um there were the the, uh, the positivity it was rate right? the positivity rate was one point three percent so it was like you know half the number but of course the per, percentage it's like way more than half um, and hospitalizations on average there were just thirty five a day and and sixty four a day in those two weeks of in October and November last year where now you know it was one fifty six per day and one hundred twenty seven per day in October and November. Um, new admissions were, you know, five people a day or 10 people a day in those two months. And uh, this year, there were 18 and 14 per day. Um, and deaths last year were four in the last two weeks of October and five in the first two weeks of November. This year, they were 41 and 22. Wow. Yeah, that really struck me. Like, I was like, wow, wow this is, you know. And I guess the hospitalizations and deaths are a function of we were like last year, the period prior to this, there were, COVID wasn't around almost. I mean, the numbers, if you look, we have like a, a, a chart, a graph on our website. And if you look at that, you can see that, you know, it was almost like flatlined in, over the summer and September last year. And things didn't start going up again until after Halloween, really, you know, um, and things really picked up after Thanksgiving last year. So I yeah, don't know. I mean, you know, with the holidays and stuff, it's people well, are coming to very time, relaxed. I, what I was what I was struck with is Governor Hochul just announced, uh, I believe, this week that we've reached 80 percent vaccination rate for adults 18 and older in New York State. But what I've heard this past week is, you know, we, we have I think we're all in this nation. We're guilty of simplistic thinking about this virus. The fact is that the virus is gaining again in the West 
in, in parts of the Southwest where uh, vaccination rates are low, but it's also gaining in the Northeast where we have very high vaccination rates. It, it's very difficult to snuff out uh, a virus that's reached an epidemic. And, and yeah. we're very clearly entering a dangerous period with the holidays. Everybody's guard's going to be down. And though most of us are, are vaccinated, now most of us adults, and now more and more kids are getting vaccinated, that should help. But it doesn't seem, you know, it doesn't I, but we've, take, we've seen, it doesn't we've seen take an, anecdotally, I mean, we've seen, I, you know, in, in the last couple of weeks, I, you know, I, I know at least three or four people who have had breakthrough infections um, that have been vaccinated, but but have have um, have contracted COVID and have gotten you know sick from it, obviously not as sick as they would have gotten um, if they weren't vaccinated. But but I think, you know, that may be part of what we're seeing, too, is just those breakthroughs. And also, also the, the idea that Joe was speaking about is uh, of young people uh, on Shelter Island. There was there's been a spike. There were five cases, new cases reported last week in a small community that that and two of those were from the school. They were school kids hmm. who contracted the virus. Um, it's um, I we have. Uh, I just returned from vacation in Ireland where it was shocking that the virus has not been politicized. <laughs> it was it was quite amazing that it was just a public health crisis. And for example, everybody wore a mask. You would go into a pub, you would go into a shop, you would go into any kind of store. Someone would come up very politely and ask you for vac vaccination certificate certification. Then they would take a number from you for contact tracing. And that's just the way it was. It was, there was no problem. 90% of the citizens there over the age of 12 have been vaccinated. Wow. But even, and they're, they're on it, you know, but even there, it's beginning to come up again. It's beginning to rise again. Uh, yeah, this so. thing's not gonna go away very easily. And Michael, we, we were talking about schools. Um, there's a closer look now too at schools and and how schools are dealing with masking, um, even as as the vaccinations are starting to arrive uh, among the school population. Well, the New York State Department of Health's Public Health and Health Planning Council approved renewing the emergency regulation on face coverings for COVID nineteen prevention. So, masks will continue to be mandatory in schools, healthcare facilities, jails, homeless shelters, buses, and other places, according to that state health panel, and it's expected to be enforced. I think it's officially renewed November 24th. There are some issues with, uh, the, once again, the uh, the the contentious uh, nature of uh, society and how it's growing. There are there are uh, people who there are parents who don't want their children to wear masks in school. They don't want their children to be vaccinated. It seems, according to the science, that wearing masks in school and in enclosed areas is still the best thing to do. Remember, the uh, everyone who was vaccinated more than six months ago, they're probably beginning to uh, find its effectiveness waning. So anyone 65 or older who was vaccinated more than six months ago should get a booster. That's where we're at right now. But if an 80 percent of the community being vaccinated at 18 and older is pretty good. If we could get uh, 80 percent or more of the five to uh, 18 year olds vaccinated, we'd probably be even better off. But as long as there are multiple hosts out there, multiple millions of hosts for the COVID-19 uh, 
coronavirus and its uh, and its variants, the longer it's going to live, and the longer we'll be in the situation of seeking uh, prevention and protection, and mm-hmm. disagreeing about how to do that. The, the FDA uh, today is uh, has approved uh, boosters for everyone. Um, yeah, they, and, they just uh, announced on Friday morning yeah. that that uh, boosters are now available to everyone over 18. If it, six months after you got your second dose uh, or your earlier dose, um, Denise, we were also talking about the fact that from a year ago, Delta variant wasn't really prevalent then, yeah. and it is now, and that may be one of the variables that's that's why some of the rates are worse now than they were then. It may not be that. The situation is equally dangerous, equally, it, it may be that the variant is so much more easily spread and so much more dangerous that that, that may be part of the, the reason for the numbers we're seeing now. Uh, it's, you know, they say it's a lot more uh, contagious and it makes people sicker. So those two things, uh, you know, for sure. I, feel like- I, mean, I, I heard an interview last night with um, Dr. Anthony Fauci who uh, was urging everyone to get the booster because if you're, you know, as you said, if you've had the vaccine a number of months ago, the series you completed a number of months ago, your immunity is going to be down. And he said that they are finding that people are uh, more frequently ending up in the hospital with, even though they're vaccinated with this variant. Um, You know, it remains to be seen how it's evolving still, too. You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. there's not another I mean, I keep checking that New York State data hub and there's not another variant that's circulating here. But, um, you know, who knows how that's evolving, how the Delta itself is evolving and if it's, uh, uh, you know, a scarier thing than it, it even was. So absolutely. This is Behind the Headlines on WLIWFM. Uh, I'm Joe Shaw. My co-host is Bill Sutton. We're with the Express News Group and our panelists today, Ambrose Clancy from the Shelter Island Reporter, Michael Mackey from right here at WLIWFM, and Denise Civiletti from Riverhead Local. Um, Ambrose, I want to talk about another scourge that's out there, um, and that is the scams that are being perpetrated uh, by telephone and internet, basically. And you've done sort of a deeper dive into this. Uh, and what are, what are you finding? I mean, it's, it's a, it's, it's a problem. We all know the robo calls. Uh, we all get them. We all get the phishing attempts in our emails. Uh, most of the time we can spot, you know, people who are savvy can spot them, but they're getting smarter and smarter and it's getting harder and harder to tell. They are, and it, the scourge is the correct word. Um, we had a story um, in this week's paper about a Shelter Island woman. Um, she's not a wealthy person. She's not a property owner. Um, she is a senior, lives alone, and she lost her life savings. Um, we just looted. Uh, and a, a story that um, the Shelter Island Police Department has helped us with and and the woman has come forward to talk about it um, to get over the embarrassment of it, which was quite a feat, I think, but she did. And it was a kind of uh, terrible thing where her computer, a banner came across her computer called Microsoft immediately. Wow. She called a number and that was it. She was in, they were someone telling her that there was someone in her bank who was going to steal funds from her. So she was had to withdraw funds and then FedEx cash to various places. This went on for at least a couple of months. Um, 
And uh, as we talked to the police department, it, it's an interesting thing. It's called, you know, a con game is called a con game because of confidence. And you, right. you have confidence in the person, you know, who is doing you ill. And she, they, the Shelter Island Police Department has 250 pages of text, uh, 30 text a page from the criminals to the woman and asking her how she's doing and have you had breakfast yet? We'll have breakfast and then mail and talking to her about her church choral group and establish this relationship until uh, she was completely fleeced. So the story, we're going to continue to do the story and it's, it's a three part story. And I think that all of these scam stories have to have three parts. And it's the, it's the human interest story where we have this woman of what happened to her specifically and, you know, the tragic nature of that. Um, but it's also a police story for sure is how, how are police departments um, tracking these people down? It seems like the Shelter Island Police Department is doing a, a really good job on this. The Suffolk County DA will soon be issuing subpoenas on this case. And the third part of the story is education uh, that we have to put out of what are the signs for this? Um, how, do you, how do you know uh, before it happens, when it does happen, what do you do to contact the police department uh, with this person? She was told not to contact anybody because, you know, they could be in on it. But the idea is contact a trusted person, you know, to ask them, hey, what do you think about this? Um, so those three parts will be our story. And next week we'll, we'll have more on it. You know, the whole the whole point of these scams is that they throw a wide net, right? It's it's you contact a thousand people and you really only need one or two. Absolutely. to be caught in the trap. Right. And, I, you know, that's that's the the numbers are in the favor of the scammers, aren't they? Yeah, they are. And also, the, speaking of numbers, the amount of money that is lost is is astonishing uh, every year. Um, and again, this woman didn't have a lot of money, but she lost everything. Um, did you get an idea of how much we're talking about, Ambrose, or did she no, not want to uh, No, we haven't gotten that far. I don't know if she wants to talk about that. But but uh, the police will tell you and uh, federal authorities will tell you that it's people who not it's not just people who lose their life savings. People lose a thousand people lose three thousand five thousand dollars and never come forward because they're embarrassed. And they think, oh, God, I, you know, 5,000 bucks is gone, but I can get over that. I can get over that hump. And if I go to the cops or I go to anybody else, I'm going to look like an idiot. You know, I'm going to look mm -hmm. like uh, uh, I was prime pickings for these people. And that's what's important is go to the cops immediately, no matter how much you've lost, because someone else, you know, is, is going to take a fleecing. A terrible thing. And, it, and, you know, it's out there because it works. And oh, yeah. um, yeah. as long as it works, it's it's going to continue to be a scourge. But so, I so, think it's so, just I was just going to say, I think it's just very important what you're doing, because I think it is all about making people aware and, and telling them what to look for. So I think that's hugely so, important. So so not to not to make light of of, of this this poor woman on, on Shelter Island. You, you know, I don't consider myself a gullible person, but I got a, a text message the other day um, 
from a woman and, and it appeared to be like a, a, a wrong number text. And it's like, hey, you know, are you other guy's name? Um, you know, we we texted with each other last time I was in town, but we never got together. Um, you know, I'm back in the area. Um, do you want to get together? Are you busy? And I just texted back. Sorry, you have the wrong number because I'm trying to be a nice, polite guy and, and let her know that, that the guy gave her the wrong number or whatever. And then I get this flood of texts from her with a photo. Oh, I'm glad you're not mad, but, you know, you sound like a nice guy. And what's your name? And do you want to start texting? And I'm like, and I don't know. What she's look- I don't know what she's looking for, you know, whether money or, or, or something else, but it certainly is scam. And it's just that's how easy you fall into these things. And it's like, I'm not a naive guy. And here I am just trying to be, you know, be the be the be the nice guy. You have the wrong number. And, and all of a sudden that. OK, so I responded and now I'm a mark, you know, and, and you know, and I, I quickly ended the conversation. But but that's when how they, I, that's how quickly you fall into it. You knew it. You knew it was wrong when she said you're a nice guy. You know, exactly. <laughs> one one P, one PS to our story also to talk about, you know, uh, an aspect of it, which is which is really heartening is the community aspect is that uh, GoFundMe page was set up for uh, the woman on Shelter Island. And it's really taking off the Lions Club. Has has jumped in uh, to help her out, and there are uh, other. There's going to be a benefit, so so people are are rallying around it, and uh, we put the GoFundMe address on our on our website a couple of times. I mean this sincerely. It's always really heartwarming to me how our communities rise to help people. They they really do. I, I think we can we can focus on the negative, but I think there's so much positive out there too. And I think that's, that's one. Michael Mackey, we only have a little bit of time left, uh, a couple of minutes, but we have a story this week. that's actually going to appear in print. Uh, it's online at 27east.com already. Uh, I did a Q and a with Jay Jacobs, who's the chair of the democratic national committee. Uh, I'm sorry, the, the state, committee, the New York state committee. And he has some ties to the region. He owns uh tennis camps in North Sea and East Hampton. So we had a conversation and that conversation was about the first district race to a large degree and uh, Representative Lee Zeldin's uh, campaign for governor. There's still a lot of questions surrounding both of those things, right? Well, there are. It appears that Zeldin will be the Republican candidate for governor, or at the very least, as Jacobs pointed out in your interview, if he commits to a primary He's out as uh, the the congressman, and someone else will have to take his place on behalf of the Republican Party. I don't know who that's going to be. In the uh, but the, it'll leave the first district, congressional district, um, uh, open, and um, so that's yeah, that obviously the- right in our backyard here. That's uh, southeastern, and uh, that's uh, that's eastern Long Island. So it'll be very much a part of our uh, of our news coverage. And uh, who will the Democratic candidates be? Bridget Fleming and Kara Hahn survived the, this uh, mm-hmm. November election, but it wasn't like they won overwhelmingly. Right. Who's the Republican candidate to uh, take Zeldin's place? And and who and how will, will the Democrats self-destruct as uh, on the gubernatorial race? Governor Kathy Hochul seems positioned to be a strong candidate, but Letitia James is a high-profile candidate. And there are several other uh, left-leaning uh, potential candidates who could divide the vote. So... It'll, yeah, be, it'll be a lot of it'll be interesting to cover, won't it? Yeah, well, it's it'll been affect our lives ultimately very much. 
Well, also, and, and as Jay Jacobs also also pointed out, and we had run a story a few weeks ago that that uh, there is a redistricting um, effort underway yes. in the first congressional district. Um, may change a little bit, and that may favor the Democrats um, because the Democrats have control of, of the state bodies right now. Um, so that will be interesting to see how that shakes out as well. It appeared that this past November, those. anyone who had a Republican next to their, a lot of people go into these off-year elections, they were only going in to vote for one candidate. Right. Everyone else they vote for, they don't really know. So if mm -hmm. it's their party, they just vote for the party. And it seems like there was a big Republican uh uh, outpouring of, of voters this year and uh, not so much on the Democratic side. And what does that say for next year? A lot of it's about turnout. And yeah, we did an editorial this week about straight yeah. ballot voting and uh, local elections. And I don't think we think that's a very good idea generally. So believe it or not, we're out of time. Uh, great oh, wow. conversation this week on a whole lot of topics. Uh, and as you can hear, some of that stuff is breaking. So uh, make sure you visit all of our websites to stay up to date on the breaking news. Uh, I want to thank our panelists, Ambrose Clancy from the Shelter Island Reporter, Michael Mackey from right here at WLIW, and Denise Stivaletti from Riverhead Local. Thank you, guys. Appreciate your taking the time out to have a conversation. Thank uh, you. And thank you. Thank you to my co-host, Bill Sutton. Uh, Bill, thanks for being here. Absolutely. I love it. I love, love doing this show every week. So we'll be, I'm Joe Shaw. We'll be back next week with Behind the Headlines. Thanks for joining us. Mm -hmm.